Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Bruce, and I am very pri- I feel a real privilege to be able to, to be up here and to share with you guys this morning. Today we're wrapping up a three-part series called Killing It, and this series is about um, it's about that one thing that we're trying to kill. It's about that thing that has the potential to destroy everything in our lives, to, uh, to really derail everything good in and around us. That one thing that we are trying to kill, the it is pride. And so this is, this is not the pride that you have in your kids when they, when they really choose to do something right and it brings you honor. We're talking about the pride that comes up when your kids are on the floor throwing an epic tantrum. And the people you're trying to impress right now are not very impressed with your parenting ability. You're getting real angry and frustrated. We're not talking about the pride that you have in your work when you really apply yourself to do an excellent job and you, and you do the work and the research. We're talking about the pride at work that comes when a coworker really messes up, when they blow it and uh, they, forget, they forget to turn their stuff in, they do something late or they don't meet quota. And on the inside, you're a little bit glad about it. You don't show it on your face or, or in your actions, but you're glad because all of a sudden it makes you look a little bit better and you have a better standing and that is ugly. Man, that is in us. That's not even something we like to admit about ourselves. That's the pride that we need to, we're trying to kill. And uh, we're not talking about the pride that you have in your spouse, you know, if it's someone who really honors you and brings you blessing. We're talking about the pride that you have when that keeps you from apologizing, from initiating that conversation that you need to have. You know what? She's 95% wrong, and I, I'm just 5% wrong, so she needs to come my way, and uh, I'm just not going to take that first step. Man, this is the pride that keeps us from saying what really needs to be said. Or it's the pride that keeps us from hearing. You know, people are trying to talk to us or, or say things to us, and it's just bouncing off because our pride will not let it sink in. This is the pride that we need to get in the habit of calling out and uh, saying, you know, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to kill that right before it starts. And so this is, that's what we talked about the first week, that pride diminishes you. It shuts you in, and it shuts God and others out. Because when you're, cause when you're filled with pride... When, when your heart and your mind and your thoughts are, are filled about yourself, there's no room for anybody else. There's no room even for God when we're so full of pride. And so uh, last week we also talked about 3P people, people that have power, prestige, and possessions. Maybe they have a little bit extra power and maybe they have a little extra prestige or some influence over people or leadership in certain ways. Maybe they have a little bit more than the average amount of possessions. And we talked about how all of us to some extent are 3P people, because to someone, actually a vast majority of the world, we do have a little bit more uh, pr- uh, power and opportunity, privilege. We certainly have more possessions than many. And so a powerful verse in the Old Testament that we looked about that Cody just referenced is that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And so what this means is that even if we do have a little bit more influence, if we have a little bit more possessions, we have no reason to be arrogant because... Uh, we, we can't look down on other people because what we have is given to us from God. And so today, now this third message, we're going to be talking about those of us that have an appetite for known. You know, we want to be known by somebody. You know, to, we want to be known for something. And actually, this, this is a message for every single one of us, myself included, because we, we all have an audience in mind. In fact, when you get dressed in the morning, you have an audience in mind, somebody that you anticipate seeing you and what you're wearing. While we're at work, the way we're working, you know, if someone's watching us, we have an audience in mind. Walking in your neighborhood, down your street, or, or at school, in your classes, any programs you're in, at church even, whatever it is, we have an audience in mind, and we want the applause of that audience that we have in mind. 
Because we all want to be known for something. We want to be friended, followed, liked, and mentioned. You know, In fact, you can't get enough friends. You can't get enough followers, likes, or mentions. I don't know about you, but I felt that driving compulsion to check on a photo that I just posted every 3.5 minutes to see who else liked it or is following me. You know, and uh, suddenly it just turns into this big popularity contest with everybody else in the world because you can see how many people are following them. And I don't know how they got so many to begin with, but it just keeps going on and on. And it never really amounts to anything, actually, but it just keeps on rolling because we want this. But if you're less engaged with social media, another way to say it is that we want to be recognized, we want to be admired, we want people to seek after us, we want to be envied. And you know what? That's why you bought that car. That's why you keep that car so clean. You know, that's why, you know, we strive to keep up with the fads and the fashions. And I, I don't know about you, but, man, the way that things change with haircuts and glasses and, like, jeans, I just can't keep up. I really want to. I really want to keep up with that stuff because I want this. But, um, you know, this is, this is the reason, actually, why I put my kids in cute clothes, right? My son just turned one. He doesn't care what he wears, but I don't want him to have, like, that tank top and the Hurley shorts because when we go out, he's going to look cool, okay? And my, my daughter, she's starting to care about what she wears, you know, cause, and she'll pick something out of her dress or she'll get on her step stool and, and pull it open and uh, she'll put something on. And I don't know what the exact science is, but I think the top and the bottom are supposed to match a little bit, but not too much. And if she goes out in something that just doesn't look good, I, I don't want that to happen because it's going to look bad on me, okay? I want people to envy me, not pity me, okay? So there's, there's a lot of things that I want to be known for. In fact, I want to be the expert on some things. And I want pe- you know, if I walk in the room, I want people to say, hey, that's the guy that you need to talk to about this or that. And so I want people to come to me for advice, to seek after me. And uh, oftentimes, the way this works is we just bank shot our self-esteem off the way people around us um, talk and behave, interact with us. And so this desire, this appetite, this craving to be known is something that can get us into trouble. And it's just a subtle form of pride that shuts others out. Because, you know, when we're focused on this, you're focused on yourself and how you look. And there's no room for other people. In fact, there's no room for God. This shuts others and God out. And so this, this is a dynamic for all of us. And it started pretty young. I think, in fact, as early as you can interact with another human being as a baby, you want the attention and the applause. It starts with your parents, right? So if you're a, I don't know if you're a parent of young kids like me, but... You know, I constantly hear this phrase, Daddy, watch this, watch this, or, or Mama, watch this, Daddy, Mama, watch this, watch this, watch this. I'll watch the same thing over and over again. I hear this thousands of times already. My, my daughter's turning three, and this is like the most popular phrase right now, because we are born and we come into the world with an audience in mind. We want the applause and the attention, and so this is normal. And, and at the outset, it's our parents. And the truth is, the primary audience actually for, for most of us, is our dad growing up. For It's the father. And uh, we want the applause of our fathers as kids. And some of us got that. Uh, some, some people may not have gotten that. Probably none of us got enough of that. In fact, a lot of, uh, you know, what can happen is, is people can get derailed and go off the rails in life as adults if, as kids, they never got that approval bucket filled up by the fathers. And so I know as a dad how important this, how much influence I have over my kids in the way that I warmly approve and interact with them and not withdraw and be cold when my emotions want to do that. But anyway, we, we grow up with an audience in mind, and then it can become maybe a coach or it can become a teacher. A lot of times, of course, it's a set of friends, people that you want to be cool with and want them to, to respect you. And, 
You know, it can become that boy or that girl. And then as adults, now we have a different audience. You know, it looks a little different as grown-ups, but certainly we have people that we want their applause. And so it could be husband or wife, you know, someone that you're trying to still win their affection or gain their approval. It could be a boss or a coworker, people that you spend a lot of time with throughout the week. You know, it, e- it even can be for some people, you know, a, a craving for the applause of their kids. And parents can drive their kids crazy by just trying to wring out approval from them and trying to, you know, orchestrate things so that they get that emotional, you know, feedback from their kids. But we all, to some extent, we have an audience that we want, you know, the applause from. This is natural. This is, this is normal to us. In fact, it can get us in a lot of trouble because it's an appetite, an appetite for known. And what's true of all appetites is that if you feed it, it grows. If you feed that appetite, it's just going to get bigger. In fact, an appetite is never finally or fully satisfied. You, you can try to, to satisfy that appetite, but it is never fully topped off. In fact, the more friends, fans, followers you have, the more friends, fans, and followers you want, right? And so there's no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for that one thing that you've determined that you want to be known for. And so it's just, it's a bottomless pit. Whatever you want to be known for at work, whatever you want to be known for at home or with your family members, whatever you want to be known for you know, as a parent or in our culture or whatever it is, whatever you want to be known, there's no amount of knownness that will fill up your bucket once for all. You say, I'm topped off. I don't need any more recognition because we're constantly on the quest for more recognition. Not, and not in every area of life, actually. There's usually maybe for most of us one or two areas that are really important to us that we value, that we kind of rest our sense of self-worth and self-esteem on. And so we go after those things. Uh, one thing for me, I was in uh, an online class about a year ago, and one thing in online class is sometimes you have group projects, which is, is helpful in, in a way, but it's challenging because you have to coordinate with people over email or discussion board. We had a group project, and we had to submit a paper, di- write different parts of the paper, and I saw this as an opportunity to get recognition for my great academic skill and paper writing ability and all that. And so I, someone had to be the collaborator to take all this stuff and put it together. And so I nominated myself quickly because I didn't want anyone else messing up my stuff and my grade. So I was working on that. I started taking in these papers from my, my group mates and I was reading them, comparing them to myself. And I was like, you know what? It's really good for them that they can be in my group because their grade is going to go up as a result of this paper, right? And, and this is, okay, that's bad. But that's, you know, pride. The things that pride goes through our mind is real ugly when it comes out in, in voice, okay? So I, I wanted that recognition. I was, like, doing some spell check, you know, grammar check, some of their things, and just kind of tweak a few things to make it perfect. So I got it. I was really happy about it. And then it wasn't until about two days after the due date I realized I forgot to submit the paper. And as it turns out, in graduate programs, they care about deadlines. So, so I, I submitted that thing as quickly as I could. I, called my, I emailed my professor and explained it, and um, he agreed to only dock my grade and not my group mates because it was you know, my fault or whatever. But that just, you know, it gets us into trouble. And I, I was just wanting the credit and the recognition you know, for those things. And our appetite for known in this way and many other ways is powerful. It can make us do dumb things. It can make us do weird things. You know, our appetite for known is dangerous. It has the potential to undermine everything that we're working on, 
the relationships that we're trying to build and grow, it, it can just destroy those. Our, our pride can do this. And it's, it's stealthy, okay? Pride will creep in and it's treacherous. You don't always necessarily see it, but it's subtle and it comes in and it just it, it controls the way we act with people. It controls what we say to people. It dictates what we do. And so fortunately, you know, we've been talking about this for three weeks, but one of the things we're going to look at today is that there's a phenomenal story about uh, John the Baptist in the New Testament that we're going to look at, which provides an extraordinary helpful insight. I don't know if you've read this or not, but it's, it's going to really bring to light this topic. And, and before we dump in, jump in, I just want to ask you all to do one thing. Uh, just participate for a second. If you have ever heard of John the Baptist before, would you just raise your hand? Okay, good. I think that's pretty much everybody. The point is, John the Baptist is a pretty well-known guy, right? So we've, we've heard of him before. And I don't know about you, but uh, about 2,000 years from now, so John the Baptist, was, was, he lived about 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years from now, I don't think anyone's going to be talking about me anywhere on this planet, okay? And maybe probably not even 200 years. I hope in 20 years they will, because I'll probably still be alive, hopefully. But <laughs> the point is, what we can learn from John the Baptist is how to be well-known, but how to handle it. How to have a tremendous amount of recognition, but it not go to your head. But how to, how to keep that knownness in a context where it can serve us well and doesn't take over our lives. So we're going to jump in. We're going to start in the Gospel of Mark and then move into John. The story is recorded in a couple places. But uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 4 starts out, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. And what he was doing was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so this was his thing. Baptism was his thing. That's where his title comes from. And... Actually, baptism, this, this idea of dipping in the water, submerging in the water, was a pretty ancient and widespread symbol of spiritual cleansing, even in other religions besides you know, the Hebrew or Jewish religion. And John's baptism was a little bit out of the normal because he's actually the first person that we have history of someone baptizing another person. We see some accounts in the Old Testament of people dipping themselves in water. So this was, this was kind of setting him apart from the start. But probably the more significant thing was that he was baptizing for repentance. And you, th- you may wonder why that's different. But at the time, baptism was a practice used to make people Jewish. So basically, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism, you, one of the things you would do is uh, get baptized, symbolizing a washing away from your Gentile ways and, and coming in that way. And so he, if he's baptizing Jewish people, that you're basically saying that you know, they're sinners and, and who, who is he to like make this comment on, on people? But anytime someone submitted themselves to baptism of repentance by John, they're basically saying, you know, I recognize that I do sin and that that sin separates me from the saving covenant of God. And I want to be in uh, under his grace. And so uh, I'm not any better, even, even if I am Jewish, I'm not better than any other person on this planet, regardless of my heritage. And so this was a very important role that John was doing in preparing people for the one that was coming. But this was a big deal. This was getting a lot of attention. Next verse, we see that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, I was just, when I read this, I just kind of went over this verse pretty fast. But actually, if you, if you just stop here for a second, you see that this is actually pretty significant. Even if this is hyperbole or like an exaggeration, you know how, you know, saying the whole countryside and all the people of Jerusalem you know, if you say like, oh, you know, everyone was at the party or there was like hundreds of people, you know, maybe not hundreds, but there was a lot. Even if this is hyperbole, 
and it's not exact. We're still probably talking about thousands, maybe thousands upon thousands of people through the whole area uh, surrounding Judea and the people in Jerusalem, which was a large city. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a Bible movie, and sometimes they portray crowds. There's like scattered people on the hills and little pockets of people. It probably was a lot more dense population than that. People like smushed together, trying to hear what he's saying, trying to see what he's doing. And so this, this could have been a lot of people. And actually, this is a pretty good big commitment because to go from Jerusalem, which was located on a hill, uh, it was up in elevation, to, to travel down to where the Jordan was, it took about a day. And then you'd maybe spend a day there uh, seeing what was going on and participating in things. Then maybe take another day to travel back. So at least a three-day trip just to do whatever was going on there. And so this is a big deal. There's a lot of people interested in what's going on. In fact, they're probably wondering, you know, maybe this guy is the Messiah. You know, we've had prophecies about this for a while. We've been studying this. It's been pretty silent for, for many, many years. Maybe this is now the time. And so the Jewish leaders were very interested in this. Uh, in John 15, we see that John testified concerning him, uh, re- referring to the Messiah or the Christ. And, and John cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay, that's a little confusing. <laughs> I'm sure for his readers, they're like, okay, what? Um, what he's saying basically is that uh, he who comes after me, Jesus was, was physically born after John was born. Wait, so he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's saying, you know, he, he may have like been born after me, but that doesn't matter because he has been in the picture for a very, very long time. And part of John's job was to get people ready. And so now this was John's this testimony when Jewish people or uh, Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Uh, John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. So, you know, these, these Levites and priests... They're wanting to know, if this guy really is the Messiah, then we want to know about it. And if he's not the Messiah, we've got to find that out too real quick because you know, there's a lot of people here. He could start some sort of uh, revolution. There's some sort of like chaos that could break out, and that is going to be big trouble because of the Romans that are overseeing us. It's just going to get bloody real quick. And so we need to get to the bottom of this fast. And so there's a lot of energy. John here is very well known. All of a sudden has a lot of recognition. And um, in fact, even his preaching was, was fairly forceful and dynamic and stirring up this interest. And so they come and question him. They say, you know, who are you? And John, the Baptist, uh, he knows what the real question is. He, they say, who are you? But he just answers directly what they want to know. He says, I am not the Messiah. Just, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, that's what you want to know. So they, okay, they ask him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Because the prophet Malachi you know, prophesied that Elijah would, would appear just before God's next great act in the history of Israel. And so maybe Elijah is here all of a sudden. He's reincarnated. Maybe, maybe this guy just, he dresses kind of funny. Maybe he looks, just looks like Elijah. Maybe that's what he is. But John says, uh, I am not. And so they ask him the next question. Okay, are you the prophet? And now they're referring to uh, someone that Moses prophesied about, uh, a prophet that would rise up among the Israelites. But again, you know, he just says no. So finally, you know, they say, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? You already told us no three times. Just tell us who you are already, okay? And here it is, John's big moment, okay? Important people are asking. He's got everyone's focused attention. This is his moment to say, I am John the Baptist. No, he, he, does, he doesn't say that. He doesn't go there. 
John replied, he actually, he replies, but he doesn't use his own words. He replies in the prophet of Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. He's saying, I am a voice. He said, don't even pay attention to what I look like. Don't pay attention to me, how I'm dressed. Just pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm about to tell you, I'm about to point you in a direction totally apart from myself, okay? There's someone coming that I want to point you to. That's my job. I'm just a road sign. I'm just a directional marker. I'm just, I'm here attracting all these people. All these people have come out and traveled here to see me so that I can point them in the direction of the one that's coming. I have all of this knownness to make him known. So in verse 24, the Pharisees who had sent them, they questioned him further. Okay, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? You're not the Messiah. So you're, you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, you're not any of those guys. We don't even know who you are. Uh, why are you baptizing people? And John here, he doesn't even answer this question really. He, he doesn't try to defend why he's baptizing he just points back to Jesus. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to be his servant. Untying a sandal, what he's referring to here, is was one of the most menial, degrading tasks that could be given to the lowliest of servants. In fact, Jewish teachers were forbidden to demand, their, to demand that their students would do this for them because it was so degrading. And John is saying, I'd, I, I should not even be given that honor, that worthiness to be able to untie his sandals because of the level that he's at. You think I'm something. You guys, you know, you see what I've done here. I've got a crowd and I'm preaching, but I'm nothing. You just wait until the real deal gets here. I'm just the warm-up guy. And so the next day, you know, this all happens, and uh, we, we go to the next day in the passage, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is, this is John's job. You know, he's got everyone looking at him, but what does he do? He points to Jesus. And so verse 29, or he says, The reason that I am so well known is to make that guy who we're all looking at right now, I'm going to make him well known. And so that, that goes on. And again, we'll go to the next day. In verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. We know that Jesus had his disciples. Uh, you know, you've seen the paintings, the pictures, and all that. But, but John had people that were, were hooked up with him, that were learning from him. Uh, John was a respected uh, rabbi, and so he had his people that were following him. But when Jesus was passing by, again, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And when his two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Follow that's one of the most fundamental words of Christianity, right? That, you know, when you read the Gospels, it, it's, about, it's about reading what it means to follow Jesus. And so some of John's disciples followed Jesus, which means they unfollowed John. Have you ever been unfollowed by anyone? Okay, when that happens, you're like, whoa, whoa, what happened here? What did I do? What are they doing? No, I've got to figure this out all of a sudden. It gets real funky and tense all of a sudden. But, <laughs> John, you know, these, these disciples are here, and they say, you know, John, if, if that's the guy that you've been talking about, we, we've, been, we've been talking about this, we've been reading the prophecies, if, if that's him, we're, we're going to go over there. And so if you start losing your core group, these are you know, your dudes, then that's a problem. But actually, it didn't bother John that he, he lost two of his disciples, as we're going to find out. It did bother some of his other followers, though. 
And so they came running to prop him up. You know, John, John, whoa, we, we just lost two guys right there. But don't worry about it. I'm sure there's some people here that, that want to follow you. We'll let them into our group, and, and we'll get you some more followers. Just hang in there. And uh, so we see what they say. In John 3, 26, they came to John, and they said, Rabbi, that man, you know, you know you're our rabbi. You're our teacher. You're the guy that we've, you know, we've committed ourselves to. We're spending all this time with. But that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. He's copying you. You are the baptizer. It's in your title, all right? You're John the Baptist. That's your gig. You invented this, and now we have a rival movement. You know, we've got to figure out who's going to be the, the top purifier, and we're going to settle, you know, who's going to have the bigger following. We need to up your game. You know, we need to figure out how to beat the competition. Maybe we can just uh, put an ad out, maybe do a billboard, or maybe we can figure out how to heat the water somehow, and we'll just get more people into this thing, okay? And then to John, you know, John, to this he replied, Okay, this next statement, this is huge. This is the reason for this message, this next statement. This next statement could, it should be written down somewhere, somewhere prominent where you can come back to this, you can look at what John said. This next statement could allow you to have an infinite number of fans, friends, and followers, and it never go to your head. This next statement could prepare you for the day that you have, this is even better, fewer friends, you lose your fans and your followers, and it still won't affect you. This next statement, you know, it prepares us for that time when the tides turn and all of a sudden, maybe you're not the best at that thing. Or maybe someone arrives on the scene who knows more about that than you. Or you don't have that kind of recognition or that respect that you're wanting and craving. This response can keep us from clinging to the things that slip out of our hands, that's out of our control. And so, so John's followers, you know, they, they're making a big deal. They said, you're losing your people. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John, did you, what does that have to do with anything? Did you hear us? I don't know what this, you're saying about heaven. That doesn't make any sense. But what we said is you're losing some followers. Now you're losing all the crowds. You know, we've got to figure out how to get you back in the game. And John says, wait, 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 wait. Look, where do you think all this popularity came from? You know, I have all this fame. All these people are here to see me. You know, how do you think it even got that way in the first place? Everything I have, you know, all this, this recognition and admiration, it comes from heaven. It's because of God. Just like the passage that we studied last week, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth, and he gives them to whoever he wishes. And everything John is saying, everything in these hands, everything in my life, this popularity I have, this ability to influence people and point people, God placed it there in my hands. Everything he gives me, if he gives me anything good, if he gives me the ability to talk to people, to influence people, then I'm going to give credit to God. And if God takes anything away, if he takes anything out of my hands, I'm still going to give credit to him and I won't freak out because I trust him. And I know that this knownness is temporary. I'm not going to be known forever. This knownness, it's a stewardship. It's a gift. You know, my ability to be well-known is something that I have to handle well and handle responsibly because I'm going to be held accountable for the way I handle my popularity. And this credit, this recognition, this status, influence, those, those are things that are, that are gifts, and I just have no control over them. So John says, you know, you yourselves can testify that, hey, I already told you, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. My knownness is about his knownness. 
my popularity is winding down. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't care about that because Jesus' popularity is expanding. I don't see that as a threat. That's the whole point. That's why I'm here. That's the job that I've been given. So this doesn't upset me at all. This actually makes me very happy. And, he, and here John says a very uh, famous phrase, He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. And, and the one who's from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So John's saying, I'm not owned by my desire to be known. It doesn't consume me. If, if my knownness fluctuates, it goes up and then it starts going down again, that doesn't bother me. The whole point of my being known is to have a better shot at making him known. So this, to me, is a pretty startling response because this is not the norm. What John is saying here is, is so reverse what I probably would have done. And what does it mean for us? What, what is what he's saying right now mean to us? Basically means that our known is a means of making him known. That what, you know, whatever you're known for, for as long that you're known for it, by whomever knows you for it. Uh, we, we can get into trouble real quick if we just think that that stuff that we have is for our benefit and, and we'll just miss the whole point of our gifts if we just try to hang on to and control the things that we never had control over in the first place. So to be a known survivor, which means to, be, uh, to survive your appetite of being known, to get through life and to make it through unscathed by this desire to be known, we have to remember who it's from and who it's for. To be a known survivor, you've got to remember who it's from and who it's for, which means, you know, who placed my knownness in my hands? Who gave me the gifts that I have? Who brought along this opportunity I had? Who allowed me to be born in this country, to live in this city, at this exact moment in history, not a few years later, not years ahead, who gave me the ability to, to, to meet these people that I have and have these relationships? Who gave me the ability to sing? Who gave me the ability to speak or, or to sell or to relate in a certain way? Who, gave, who made me attractive? Who made me look good? Who gave me my personality or my wit or my intellect or my humor? We have no control over any of those things. Those are all given to us from above. You know, for me personally, I, I can so easily... Just look around and compare my situation to the people that I see. To, you know, my family life, or my job, or my financial status, or what I have. And, and, and just the need for me to ask, who gave me my amazing wife? Who gave me my two beautiful children? Who, who gave me our home and our ability to, to even just pay our bills or to work each day? You know, I've developed, maybe I've developed and grown in character and maturity, and, and maybe I've gained some amount of uh, leadership or influence, but, you know, who gave me the ability to see my flaws in the first place and to have the steps to grow past them in maturity? And I know for a fact that I'm going to need God every day of my life to be able to continue to chip away at my character so I can become more like Jesus every year of my life. I'm dependent on him to help me become more and more sanctified in that way. And so if I have any good or admirable quality, if I've been a benefit to anybody, if I've had any positive influence it's so easy to credit myself. Just tap myself on the shoulder and just say, I'll welcome any positive attention that I get from that. But it's, it's from heaven. It's from God. He's given me these you know, things. And so what happens in my life? What if I lose some of that influence? What if I lose my financial standing or, or things in my life begin to fall apart? Will I fall apart? You know, we need to, if we can just remember who it's from and who it's for, 
God can place an amazing amount of knownness in my hands and it won't hurt me. If it slips through my fingers, then I won't grasp for it. You know, because God can really shut it down in a minute. You know, the things I'm working on and I'm, I'm investing my time and I'm trying to build this and, and work towards that, but if God can just shut it down in a minute, that thought keeps me real humble, knowing that, you know, if I can just say like John, it's all from heaven. Do you know anybody that lives like that? You know, probably it's easy to see people that maybe cling to things or try to like grasp onto stuff and prevent stuff from slipping out. But another way to say it is that our known is for his renown. Our known is for his renown. You know, if we could just remember who it's from and who it's for, and that we can receive only what it's given us from heaven. The applause of the one who knew you first. You know, we talked about this applause and, and the audience that we have in mind. But the applause of the one who knew you first, the one who knows you best currently, and the one who gifted you and called you, in the end, that's the only applause that will matter to us. If at the end of every single day, if I'm able to pray to God and say, you know, God, with the opportunity that you gave me, God, with the privilege and the blessings that you've given me. God, with the, with the reputation and the influence that you've given me, I did my best with what you gave me to make you known. Then, in the end, at the end of our lives, if the New Testament writers are correct, then we can expect to hear from our Heavenly Father, well done. Well done. You killed it. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come back to this stage and the ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. We're going to wrap up and look at a few next steps. If you pull out that connection card, uh, can complete any information on there that you need to. But these next steps are, are really just a practical way that you can apply something that you learned for the first time or something that you're reminded of. One next step is to memorize John 3.27. You know, that's that powerful verse that a man can only receive what he's given from heaven. For that's to saturate your mind and your heart and to permeate the way that you go about life can have a huge impact. Another next step is maybe, maybe in prayer or, or if you have quiet time throughout the week, you can just spend some time identifying the gifts that God's placed in your life and, and give credit to Him for those things. I'd like to take a minute to pray for our offering together. Dear Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for this story of John the Baptist and, and just the way that You gifted him and you, you had a, a real specific assignment for John the Baptist to carry out. And it sure seems like he did a good job with it, giving you the credit and the recognition. And um, I thank you for the example that he set for us and that you even just preserved that story for us to learn from. And, and really, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look deep inside our hearts and get real in touch with our pride and, and where it comes out, where it flares up, where it tries to hide. And I pray that you would help us to call it out and to kill it and just get away from the prideful uh, strategies and to humble ourselves, Lord, would you illuminate in our lives when that happens and give us the strength and the desire to live your way. Thank you for this offering that we're about to receive and, and the way that you've blessed our ministries here. We pray for your continued blessing and especially our, the direction that's needed for our leadership to move us forward um, in the coming months. Thank you, Father, for your help and we thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.